Hallo und welcome to the show. Welcome, Galvin. Why are we talking like this? Ich weiß nichts. Aha. Oh, you see, I know stuff. Uh, yes, welcome to Drunken Time Travel, Drunken Science. Yes, and... Uh, machines. Yes, following the war machines and uh, Votan. Votan, that yes. is why we are talking like this. Yas. Yas. <laughs> What are you, some kind of posh German? I am some sort of posh German or something. I don't know. So for the computers in the war machine, what science could you possibly be doing? Yes, we are going for artificial intelligence. Good luck with that one. Yes, in in various guises of... Disguises? In various disguises. I'm I'm imagining... Yes, Jeff is now wearing a false moustache. Yes, and big thick rimmed glasses. Are you wearing are you wearing a Groucho Marx disguise? I am wearing my Groucho. You wish. I am not wearing my Groucho Marx disguise. That would give away my disguise. So, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. So it was around about the nineteen fifties with the advent of computers that uh, we started thinking about the possibility of artificial intelligence. Was it in the nineteen fifties? It was. Sure, it was in the 1940s. It was round about the 1950s we started thinking about the possibility of uh, okay. artificial intelligence. You may carry on. Apparently, anyway. You may carry on. There might have been some people in the 40s, I don't know. You may carry on. Okay, I will carry on. I will I will draw you up very shortly. So let's, uh, let's start with uh, the obvious person, okay. Turing. Turing in the 1940s, yes. 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 1940s, yeah. Who uh, came on, he thought, can computers think? And he, he thought that's that's actually difficult to define. And he he sort of twisted that to become, are there imaginable digital computers which could do well in the imitation game? And the... Is the imitation game a reality show? Uh, no, but it should be. It should be. Not that we would watch it, but it should be. But it, it's like a party game. The original imitation game is the you've got three people. Uh, person A is a man, person B is a woman, and person C is of either sex. And you can only communicate through written notes. And the role of C is to determine which is which sex, just through written note communication. Okay. The role of the man is to trick... The the judge, always well see, and the role of the woman is to help them make the right decision. Was this an actual game that they played? Well, this was uh, af- well, I think this is Turing's game that he invented. Okay, Turing's party game that he invented. As far as I'm aware, it, this could have been an actual game. I don't know. I don't think so. But then he proposed that the role of the man, role A, should be taken by a computer and the computer should be trying to trick the judge will see into making the wrong decision and if C the judge guesses wrong as many times with the computer as with two humans and if the judge uh, guesses wrong as many times with the computer as he does with playing against two humans the computer could be said to be intelligent so moving forward, the uh, we've got the standard interpretation now of uh, Turing's test, which is instead of judging whether a computer is able to trick a human, 
rather could a computer imitate a human slightly different they have a which is generally the same game with a computer and a player of either sex and an interrogator trying to determine which is the computer rather than determine which is which sex yeah which is the computer and which is human mm. and he predicted by the, the by the year 2000 <coughs> computers with a 128 megabyte <laughs> memory <laughs> would be able to pass a 5 minute test 30% of the time is that true i'm guessing no it's what he predicted it has not happened yet I don't think a computer with 128 megabyte memory in the year 2000 <laughs> would have been able to pass a five-minute test 1% of the time. No, it, it, it was a bit hopeful there, I think. Because <laughs> we are far doing that sort of performance and still can't manage it, realistically. But the the reason why it's, he said 30% of the time was because if, if it was 50%, if it scored 50%, Essentially, he's saying that the computer is indistinguishable from human. And if it gets more than 50%, like 51%, it is out-humaning the human, <laughs> which is when it gets a bit scary. Out-humaning the human? Yes. I'm sure I've seen that Star Trek episode. So that's why he said... I've seen that Star Trek episode where a computer tricks Kirk and he explodes. Kirk explodes? Yeah. No, I've not seen that one. <laughs> the computer tricks him, so he explodes. I would like to see that one. Anyway. So yes, uh, Robert Epstein. He's introduced me to Robert Epstein. He's actually one. Apparently, he is. I cannot confirm this, either, but he's apparently one of the world's leading experts in human-computer relations. I bet he is. <laughs> <laughs> he probably is. Yes. It's, he, in the early days, he went on one of these internet dating sites, and he met somebody from Russia who had poor English. And uh, the relationship started getting serious. And he eventually booked out a flight two months later to see her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's but, all going well so far. Yeah. But he, he started to get a bit suspicious. Cause, uh, when a computer met him at the airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, some of the responses were non-specific and uh, avoiding. And uh, she wouldn't take any phone calls and answer some simple questions. So... Uh, as a test, he decided to replace some words with just random mashing on the keyboard. <laughs> and lol cuts. Yeah. And, and she didn't notice. So he realised it was actually a computer programme that he was communicating with. Anyway, he, uh, he tried again later with the internet dating site and uh, he came across the same thing. <laughs> he, got, take, he, he got suckered in. I'm going to take this out, but is he Dave? <laughs> You have the same amount of luck with computers. Yeah, he got sucked in, but this time the uh, the computer program of the chatbot that was talking to him actually phoned him up and told him about it beforehand. It was some sort of experiment. So I you know so uh, people have been starting to use chatbots as artificial intelligence and and tr- actually starting to trick people. So when you're saying he's a world leader in uh, world leading expert in human mm. computer relations, mm. he's just he's just some schmoo that got mm. tricked a lot of times. Well, this is probably what spurred him on <laughs> to become and research that field because this was early on in his career. Oh right, okay. So it was it was probably this experience that spurred him on to research this. So moving on to a chatbots, one of the very first chatbots in existence. 
was uh, one created by uh, Joseph Weizenbaum in uh, 1964. He called it ELISA, which is a non-directive Rogerian psychotherapist sort of style chatbot, which basically just mimics conversation. As you got to light, you go say, Doctor, I'm depressed. And the doctor would say, I'm sorry to hear you're depressed. Tell me more. It just takes key words from your sentence and says it about you and gets you to expound. And Doctor, I'm busy. I'm sorry to hear you're busy. Tell me more. Fuck off, I'm busy. But it's that sort of style of psychotherapy that this uh, robot they invented sort of copied, copied. if you like. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> you forgot copy. No, it's what I settled on it. It wasn't the one I was looking Are for. Are you a computer? Is this is this also <laughs> going to test on me? I am a stupid bot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a human? Actually, are you a human trying to pretend you're a computer? Are you doing the anti-Turing test? Yes. <laughs> I'm just. I'm indistinguishable from a chatbot thirty percent of the time. But apparently, all these students and everything is the new. The new about this, but they're probably the ones that did this. But they all eventually they had conversations and they talked to this chatbot like a therapist, and he he started getting quite disturbed about this because the the artificial intelligence Eliza, he, they didn't he didn't have any understanding. He didn't know what they were doing or interacting. And he got quite concerned about that and he pulled the plug on the whole project and became uh, a leading critic against artificial intelligence, not believing that it could be beneficial at all. Well, in 1964, it would have just been a program that would have just taken keywords and just responded <laughs> with something that you told it to say. It wasn't oh, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't an artificial intelligence. Yeah, but it was, it, it was, it was a step there. It was it, a step there, but, but, I, but I'm saying I don't know why he's disturbed about it. It's just doing what he told us to do. Well, it it was taking the place of doctors and the sort of Rogerian psychotherapists that do that style of therapy that just let you talk, and it was taking that, and it was having positive effects with the students, and they were spending hours with this machine, <laughs> even though they knew it was a machine, and it didn't like this. It didn't like the way it was going. How can it have an effect? But these people, if they knew it was a machine, they would just, they might as well just write it down in a book and have as much. Well, that, that's been shown to have as much positive effect as anything, actually. Yeah, right. Just writing things down, just getting things out. You don't need to tell anybody. It's getting itself out and expressing it that has as much effect as anything. You don't actually have to tell somebody, just writing it down has as much effect. And so we come. So moving on to uh, one of the uh, pinnacles of uh, <laughs> chatbots, which I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners were probably familiar with as well. Cleverbot. A lot of listeners are, of course, uh, are familiar with. We are, of course, talking about Harrison Ford. Because <laughs> Cleverbot has managed to fool a lot of people, now, regardless you of your experiences you with it. It has. Has it? It has, yes. Has it? No, but really has it. But yeah, to create artificial intelligence, I mean, you've got to look at an instruction. If you tell uh, a computer like to pick up a book, mm-hmm. it'll look at it, look at the situation. It says, "I can't pick up the book. There's a cup on it." So you've got to program it. Okay, you've got to pick up the cup and hand me the book. And it'll go, 
I can't, I'm now holding the cup. Okay, put the cup down and then pick up the book. Does it, does it only have one hand? Yes, it only has one hand. Okay. But you've got to feed simple actions. You've got to feed in all these subroutines that we have all learned through his lifetime. And you've got to feed all them into a robot to get them to do simple actions. So what the creator of Cleverbot, he, he thought was, what if the artificial intelligence started at zero, like a baby, and it grew every time you talked to it? So the first thing he said to his program was, hello, and immediately said, hello back, because that was the only word he had learned at that point, hello. So then he said, how are you doing? So now the artificial intelligence, it knew hello, and it knew, how are you doing? And it basically, it just grew with each reply and interaction. Eventually, he put this thing on the internet, and uh, in 10 years, it's learned up to like 5 million lines of conversation, which is like the uh, the program that we all know and love, and have probably had experience <laughs> with, which just spouts out random bullshit. And <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot like a lot of spam. <laughs> yes. And you really can't tell that it's... But that's all. That's obviously it's learning from a lot of people on the internet, and we all know they can't speak or spell, and people are dumb on the internet, and it's just learning a load, a load of crap, and that's generally what you get about. But basically, whenever you type in a question or you converse with chatbot, it searches its vast database of past replies, which, as of two thousand and nine, it was getting like two hundred thousand requests an hour and three million people serving three million people a month. So the vast database of conversation lines it's getting is immense. So when it's asked a question, it searches this database and it selects the most likely response that a human has actually responded to that particular line of question and it will send it back. So it's almost like that snippet of com- two line conversation somebody has almost said it before almost being a human conversation it's mi- trying to mimic human conversation from experience can you can you get clever bot talking to clever bot yeah, i suppose you could yes I, th- I believe people have actually done that before has it, uh, has it gone insane or anything? it probably does because every time i've used it it's gone insane anyway <laughs> <laughs> yes it did say it was agreeing with you there, it? or you won or something yes i i got it to agree that i won <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you just went on and start, and just the first thing you typed was, I won. <laughs> so, yeah, the main way to confuse or get something weird out of Cleverbot is to say something unique that it has never heard before, so that it doesn't have a pre-programmed reply for it. But surely if you say purple, bunky, grapefruit microphone, it'll mm. just, that's not going to be helping it learn or anything. No, it's not. Which is why a lot of people will be doing that on the internet and confusing it. That's not very nice. I'm going to say, yeah. Poor clever pot. But at an event last year, it entered into a Turing competition where it, it did the setup with uh, with judges and uh, paired against a human opponent and a computer opponent and the judges and the viewing audience as well had to decide which was the human and which was the opponent. Apparently it was voted 53.9% human. I have no idea what that means. 53.9% of the people in the audience said it was human. 
Yeah, but apparently the humans were voted 63% human. Obviously, yeah, the, them two don't have it all. A lot of people just voted human for everything. So I, I don't exactly know how the votes were. Uh, well, surely that's uh, over over uh, Turing's chance thing. So uh, does that mean it's passed the Turing test? No. You've decided no. Yes, I have. I mean, a, a lot of the papers I'm I've, sure, I've read about it. I'm hasn't passed the anti-Turing test. It's the the sort of vague part here is what the fifty three point nine percent means exactly. I mean, it it was a very loose sort of it's it weren't exactly a controlled test, or double blind testing or anything like that, which I think you would really need to uh, if you if you got a computer or a program that could possibly pass it. I think you need to start double blind testing it with the audience and being really stringent, but. But considering it had 1,300 odd votes and it was registered as 53.9% human, it's pretty good uh, pass, right? And bearing in mind that the program of Chatbot, uh, was it Chatbot? I can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> Cleverbot. Cleverbot, that's it. But the program that they use there is like 10 times more powerful than the one that they use on the internet. The one you use on the internet is far more scaled down. I suppose it would be. Because they haven't got the server power to serve that many people at a time. The one that they used, it was only serving like a handful of people at a time, so it had far more processing power. It it took each question and it like it analysed it forty seven times or something like that before it spat out what it would consider the most relevant response, whereas on the internet it only does it twice. And it's got a much more vast database, and they're working on improving it more each time. And so, moving on, every year there's like what they call the Loebner Prize, which is like a yearly Turing test. In 2008, uh, which I'm, from research I've managed to do is the highest point so far, computers actually managed to read 25%. Although it is from a small sample size, 3 of 12. But it seems like a more accurate reflection of Turing's test rather than this formal affair that Chatbot, uh, Cleverbot did. Sorry, I keep calling him Chatbot. Well, he's not going to be mm. very happy about that. Mm. You should go on Cleverbot and call him Chatbot. But as far as uh, it goes into the future, there is currently a £20,000 wager between Mitch Kapoor, who was bet against Kurzweil, that I... Don't know if I got the pronunciations right. Who are these people? Just two random people. Okay, just two people who yeah. happen to know each other and so. Yeah, and it, it says that a computer will pass the Turing test by twenty twenty nine. There's uh, there's been strict sort of rules laid out for the nature of the competition and who's going to be judging and everything. The twenty thousand uh, dollars will go to a charity of the winners choosing in twenty twenty nine. That a computer will pass the Turing test by yeah. 2029. Yeah. Well, surely three computers passed the Turing test in 2008. No, the computers reached... To pass the Turing test, strictly, you, need, you need to get over 30%, but only three of 20 were judged to be human, well, well, good, which, good, which good. is less than 30%, which well, is 25%. got 53.9%. It was a very loose, sort of formal... Informal. Informal, sorry. You know, you see and yeah. convince your computer. 
And I, I convinced you're a human trying to pretend you're a computer. But yes, in 2008, three of the 12 computers uh, were judged to be human, which is 25%, more or less. It didn't quite get up to the uh, 30%. Yeah, but that's three. That's what one of the computers was judged to be human. At least three of them were judged to be human. So one of them was judged to be human. This this bet yeah. this bet is that yeah. a computer. Oh yes. So one of them already has. Well, that was one computer. Out of twelve judges, that one computer, three of them were judged to be human. Three of them judged. So it was one three. computer, three judges yeah. out of twelve. Yeah. So okay. So these were three so, so it, so it only judges. Got, so it only got 25%. Okay. Whereas this this uh, this sort of informal event that Cleverbot took part in where it was judged to be 53.9% human, what does that even mean? It's not like 3 out of 12 or something and 25% of judges. It was, well, well, it says there, there were 1,334 votes. Yeah. So it's the same as that. 3 out of 12 is 25%. So 53.9% was 1,334 folks. And then the human was judged to be 63% human as well. Yeah, well, people obviously voted twice. People obviously voted human twice. You got what, they got, they all got one, they've all got whatever, how many votes there were for each each thing. And they all, I mean, there were people that voted human on, on multiple things. See, this is where I think, I don't know where the voting or what come. Oh, what criteria for voting was her? How many times she can vote and on what? Well, you should have found this out. I've, I've tried to find it out. Well, that's about as much as you, uh, information as you can get. This is the only one that I found that it's voting people as being 53.9% human. So to finish off, the position of most researchers today are, as what was once said in a Dartmouth conference in 1956, every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can be so precisely described that a machine can be made to stimulate it. (laughs) (laughs) Simulate. That's true. (laughs) We have many machines for those kind of things. Simulate it. I believe the doctor had one in, in one of the previous episodes. The directional vibrator or whatever it was called. Super twist. Super twist.